Welcome back to Cargumentative, a Times Live podcast on which we chat about all things cars and motoring. I'm your host, Thomas Falker, and as usual, I'm joined in our virtual studio uh, by Dennis Dropper and Brenwin Naidu. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Hi, good to be here, Tom. Hey, Thomas. Guys, thanks for joining me in our virtual studio. Uh, just for our listeners out there, we are obviously not... Um, recording these these episodes from um, our offices we're doing it remotely by skype so um, if the sound isn't a hundred percent you know why uh, but the show must go on and today we're going to start the show with a little bit of news dennis what's been happening there was a road safety study done in the uk uh, it was an alarming uh, study they found that modern in-vehicle infotainment systems are dangerously distracting it can be even more distracting than uh, driving under the influence of alcohol and cannabis. So particularly features like Apple, Club, uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto are being the biggest culprits in taking a driver's attention off the road. So far from offering these sort of safety and convenience that they're supposed to, it found that uh, drivers took their eyes off the road for as long as 16 seconds while driving, which is the equivalent of a distance for how... 530 meters at 120 k's an hour. So quite alarming that. That is quite alarming. And um, I've got to say that I actually do find them pretty distracting myself, just in terms of the WhatsApp application on those on those car infotainment systems. I've had countless problems, and you kind of spend more time talking to WhatsApp um, and making sure that the system is is typing what you're saying than you do driving. So I can believe that study. Entirely believable as well. Um, I mean, as we know, uh, as motoring journalists, some infotainment systems are more equal than others, of course, to operate uh, on the go. But having said that, uh, I think it's advisable, especially to our listeners, that uh, if you're driving, focus on driving. Well said. Yeah, I would definitely with that, uh, Brainwin. Uh, I also find some infotainments are more equal than others. And being the old school codger that I am, I, I prefer the good old fashioned knobs and dials uh, you can find it straight away and, and it's very non-distracting likewise you know these days when i get into a test car i uh, i put my phone in the center console i tune to safm so i can catch up on the latest news uh, especially regarding COVID 19 now well until the lockdown of course and i drive simple as that yeah i think it's the best thing to do and that's why i kind of enjoyed motorbikes because on a motorbike you don't have a phone and if you had to play around with your phone on a bike, you would die. So there's that kind of nice um, enforced concentration um, on just getting on the bike, riding, avoiding cars, etc. So, Brenwin, is there any other news story you'd like yes, to? Yes, uh... I do. I do. Well, um, into the subject that's that's dominating the news cycle at the moment, uh, Isuzu is now the latest car maker to announce its commitment to uh, the COVID-19 lockdown temporarily ceasing production operations and joining the other brands that manufacture vehicles locally. Of course, this is the, the Strawndale plant that builds the, the D-Max in addition to medium and heavy-duty Isuzu trucks. Yeah, it's quite something, hey? Um, I mean, we've been updating Times Live Motoring website all week and last week, and every other day you just get the story of, of another manufacturer shutting down um, production. 
for the foreseeable future. I mean, it's been it's been Ford, Isuzu now, um, Mercedes Benz, Nissan. It's quite a thing. Well, I think those are just the ones who have officially announced it so far. But of course, this is uh, an obligatory shutdown for the whole industry. So, so yeah. I think. Uh, in the next few days, everybody will make the official announcement and everyone will go into lockdown. Yeah, what a time to be alive, huh? It's scary stuff. Um, less scary stuff. I don't know if you guys saw. Aston Martin yesterday um, unveiled its first new in-house bespoke engine um, that it's built in, uh, well, since 1968. Um, it's, it's a little three-liter twin-turbo V6. And uh, it's going to be used in the Mark's upcoming, uh, new upcoming range of mid-engine sports cars, uh, starting with the Valhalla from 2022. Um, it's going to be mated to a, a hybrid drivetrain system, of course. Aston Martin says it'll, it'll combine reasonable fuel consumption for a sports car. And um, it'll also be the most powerful engine, uh, well, powertrain on offer. Uh, when it when it is launched um, in 2022. Yeah, the, these are exciting times for Aston Martin. Uh, they've, of course, been using uh, Mercedes uh, AMG V8 turbo engines for the last few years in the collaboration. So they've decided to go out on their own with, with their with their in-house designed uh, hybrid engine, and it looks looks quite exciting. They haven't revealed the power figures yet, of course. But it's uh, it's expected to be quite a high revving, quite a high, uh, quite an exciting engine. And of course, it's of a hot V configuration, which means that the turbochargers are are kept within that little V gap between the cylinder banks. So it promises to be quite a quite a small compact unit. It's also quite light. Um, Aston Martin says it's going to weigh in at under two hundred kilograms. So you know, um, if it's going to be put inside a sports car. Makes a lot of sense. I just wanted to quickly mention, Thomas, that uh, South Africa's cheapest car has just been launched, you know, as a complete uh, counterpoint to the Aston Martin. And this is a Suzuki Espresso, which uh, comes in at a starting price of 134,900 Rand, which, uh, like, as I said, South Africa's cheapest car undercuts even the previous cheapest car, which was a Suzuki Celerio hatchback. And like a Celeria, this is a one-liter car, and it's pitched as a bit of an SUV. Got a 118-mil ground clearance, which is where everybody wants to be, sitting high up these days. So uh, once this uh, whole lockdown is, uh, is is over, maybe that's what the students and the first-time car buyers want to go look at. Isn't a bad idea. Um, I think we all attended the virtual launch of that car, which was a first in South Africa. Uh, we all tuned into Suzuki South Africa's YouTube channel, and uh, got to watch a presentation. And um, I must say, as, as sort of small, cheap, entry-level budget cars go, um, it, it looks quite good. Um, I know that the, the Datsun Go and the Quid have been accused of being quite gawky in the way that they look, but uh, the Espresso is, is a fairly handsome-looking thing. I quite like its interior. And... Um, yeah, it, I mean, it should it should sell well. It comes with one year of uh, free insurance as well. So for first-time car buyers, it's an attractive proposition. You know, our contributor, um, Gugu Masuku, who we really should rope into uh, one of these podcasts one of these days, attended the international launch for our publications in India. Um, and he came back with some fairly positive 
notes about the car, particularly in in how it drove and uh, its interior spatial packaging. But what I'm really looking forward to uh, is it being crash tested. Um, and it would be, of course, fantastic if it were safer than its chief rival, the Datsun Go and the Renault Quid. Well, that's the thing. Um, both those cars flunked the, the global in-cap crash tests in spectacular fashion. Um, and the media backlash from that has been severe. Um, you know, I mean, I've certainly been, been out there on a personal sort of crusade uh, to discourage people from buying those cars just because they're so unsafe. So, yeah, it's going to be a... It's going to be very interesting to see how this espresso performs. But um, I guess time will tell. Um, speaking of time, guys, we've got enough uh, in the bag for news, I think. I can see producer Paige is waving her, her digital arms at me. So we're <laughs> going to take a quick break and uh, we'll be back shortly. <laughs> but you see, like, you can't beat the diesel. Though. I'll take the petrol over the diesel any day. <laughs> Tune in to Cargumentative every Monday morning on Times Live Motoring. You can join myself, Thomas Faulkner, and my regular gang of automotive misfits as we discuss motoring news, views, and of course, have a cargument or two. That's Cargumentative, only on Times Live Motoring. Welcome back to Cargumentative. Guys, this week, uh, we thought we'd keep it fun. We'd, you know, make it easy going. Um, and... Uh, Dennis actually came up with the idea by chatting about weird cars, weird quirky cars. So we had some homework. We all had to go out and choose uh, two or three cars that we we thought were deliciously weird and uh, have a chat about them. So Dennis, going to start off with you. Yeah, let's start the ball rolling with what I think is possibly the weirdest car of all time. It's called the Ford Nuclear. It came out in 1958, or let's say it was a concept that uh, was proposed in 1958. Long before Chernobyl and Fukushima, the world was in love with the prospect of atomic energy. And it wasn't long before the mad scientists at Ford fiddled with the idea of whipping out a car's internal combustion engine and replacing it with a nuclear reactor. Exhibit A, the Ford Nucleon. Okay, it was only a concept, but the idea was for it to use a steam engine powered by uranium fission, much like a nuclear submarine. So it had an incredible theoretical range of about 8,000 kilometers. But eventually, the prospect of it blowing up in a mushroom cloud during a bumper bashing put the brakes on that idea. That's incredible. <laughs> I've actually never heard of that. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's probably for the best. Anyway, yeah. in terms of weird cars that I've actually driven, I would have to give that to probably the Fiat Multipla, because uh, some people called it bulldog cute, others called it plain ugly. But this Italian people carrier was certainly one of the weirdest shapes ever to come out of a car factory. Uh, it's from the back, it looked a bit like a top hat on wheels, and the front had a staircase-type bonnet uh, with three stacked pairs of rounded lights. 
So it was it was a very very weird looking thing. Although I have to say that I really did enjoy driving it as as much as it gathered some some odd stares when I drove past. Yeah, Multiplayer was a was a pretty interesting car. I never I never got to drive one. Um, it was a bit before my time, and I wasn't in the uh, the car testing game. But I remember it had a had a fantastic interior, um, very wide and and flat. So from a from a practicality point of view. It was uh, quite a thing. Um, on my side, there's quite a quite a weird Toyota out there, and I don't think a lot of people have heard about it. It's called the the Toyota Serra, so it's S E R A, and uh, it was basically like a, a little um, two door sports coupe, uh, front wheel drive. It had a 1.5 liter petrol engine, so not really built for speed. Uh, it, it was all about looks, um, and what made it quite unique and quite strange for for 90s toyota is it is it, it had these these sort of gull wing stroke butterfly doors which would flip forward and up so you could gain access it's just yeah it's it's a cool unique slightly strange car um it's got this you know sort of big glass back um as well yeah it's sort of weird and quirky and 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 just something you wouldn't expect from a Toyota. And it was only around for a couple of years, uh, from 1990 to 96. Well, Thomas, you seem to like the, the gull wings and the butterfly wing doors. You might have another one on your list that uh, meets that spec. I actually do, Dennis. I'm a, I'm a sucker for, 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 for gull wing doors. And um, I've got to say that, that my next favorite sort of weird car would be the DeLorean, the DMC-12. Um, I mean, it's a little bit mainstream. A lot of people know about it, of course, because it, it, it featured in Back to the Future. It's a cool, unique car with a stainless steel skin. No other cars had that. Uh, no, you know, no car had that before. No car has had it since. Had the gullwing doors. It had a chassis that was derived from Lotus. It had a sort of a, a Peugeot V6 engine. Uh, it was just like this weird mashup, you know. It was the, it was the, the brainchild of one uh, John DeLorean, who used to work for for GM back in the day, and was the man behind many of its famous muscle cars. And uh, he decided to go solo and start up his own company and make a sports car for the people, um, a hard wearing sports car, hence the stainless steel skin. And the idea is that you could buy this and keep this car for a, a very long time. Um, and it flopped dismally. It was just, you know, it, it, it came out at the wrong time. It was marketed badly. There were build quality issues. Um, it, it, it was just, it was doomed from, from the start. But just a really cool car and, and a, a car that's become a, a modern icon. Uh, I believe it was pretty slow too, Thomas, and didn't get to the advertised 88 miles per hour that it did to time travel. That's true, Dennis. I actually got to drive one. Uh, there's a collector down in Cape Town who I managed to track down. And um, I said, listen, can I drive your car? I want to do a story on it. And he said, yeah, absolutely. Come on over. So I did that. And it's, um, it is slow. It's not fast. Um, the handling's not great, but it's not as bad as as everybody says it is. It kind of reminded me a little bit of, of those early uh, 944s with that naturally aspirated 2.5 engine. Kind of a decent car, but underwhelming. 
Um, I didn't get it up to 88 miles an hour. I probably only got it up to about 110 because I was driving it in Cape Town and through traffic. Um, but just so cool, and people love it. I mean, I've driven McLarens and Aston Martins and Ferraris and Porsches, but the amount of attention that I got in this DeLorean was just like, I've, I've never seen it since. People hanging out of cars, people hooting, people flashing their lights. Um, so in terms of like the cool factor, it's unrivaled. Well, my contribution uh, moves back to Japan um, in the form of the Nissan S-Cargo. And uh, it was a little delivery vehicle that was as snail-like in shape as the title suggests. Not sold in SA, of course. Uh, and it, it really, it's a car that looks like it was made for a film adaptation of a Dr. Seuss story. Sure. The Japanese are, are really great at uh, quirky titles too, as we know, and I think we can definitely spin that off into another discussion for, uh, for our next episode. Yeah, definitely. Lost in translation. I can see it now. Yeah, quirky cars. There are many out there, and we could go on about them for many, many hours. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have the time. So, guys, uh, I think we need to move things on and uh, chat about what we've been driving. Dennis, let's kick it off with you. Yeah, I... Um... I was driving the Suzuki Vitara Turbo, and I must say I was uh, pleasantly surprised by it. Uh, initially, the vehicle was available uh, as a normally aspirated 1.6, and it was a perfectly functional commuter, etc. But this little 1.4 Turbo has really injected a bit of excitement into this vehicle and made me for the first time consider something as, that I would you know, consider to buy for myself. So uh, the pricing is good. Uh, I mean, it's not a it's not a high performance car, but it's just got that nice kind of perky, punchy feel about town that really uh, makes you enjoy driving it, which is something that perhaps was missing from the normally aspirated 1.6 version. So especially at uh, at Gauteng's high altitude, that is something that uh, people might want to consider. I don't know if you, you guys have had a chance to drive it. Um, I have. I drove it briefly on launch uh, last year, and I must say, it's a it's a fun little package. It looks good, nice interior, and as you say, Dennis, that uh, 1.4 liter turbo engine really does inject some much needed oomph um, into the way it goes about things. Um, great car, really good car. Brenwin, have you driven it? Yes, I have, um, and I mean, I can attest to. To the punch of that of that mighty little 1.4 liter turbocharged engine, I particularly enjoy it when uh, in its application in the Swift Sport, um, also a product that that's very highly lauded uh, from Suzuki. There. How much is pricing on that, Dennis? Um, I can't I can't remember offhand. Uh, so it's 386,900. Okay. So it's actually it's quite competitively priced because it's it costs uh, less than. Uh, Rivals like the Hyundai Kona and the um, and the Opel Mokka X. Yeah, and and you're getting a little bit more power than you are with the Kona, that's for sure. Brenwin, what's been in your garage? All right. Well, I've been driving the uh, the Mazda CX-5. Um, strikingly beautiful, superbly built, and uh, the 2.2 liter turbocharged diesel motor um, in our test car was remarkably powerful, though not as frugal uh, as its makers claim. We got 9 litres per 100 kilometres uh, in the mixed conditions versus the 5.7 litres, uh, they say. Also not particularly cheap. Um, the range topping uh, Acura all-wheel drive model, we had 605,000 rand, 
But luckily, the range starts at a more reasonable 411,000 rand. I like, uh, I really like how well equipped the car was. Bose sound system, really sumptuous leather upholstery, um, electronically operated tailgate, pretty much everything you'd, you'd want in a medium sized SUV. It is a lot of money, though, um, especially for a car that, that, that doesn't have a turbocharger. Uh, one feels that it's just being left behind, you know, in terms of um, of power and torque, especially up here at our Joburg altitudes. Dennis, have you had that car on test yet? Yeah, I also find that uh, they've kind of missed the boat on the turbocharged revolution here. And I mean, it's a... It's a perfectly functional commuter, uh, reasonably good power, but with a lot of turbocharged rivals hitting the scene now, it's perhaps uh, lacking a little bit in the excitement factor. Yeah, I agree. And I think you'll find a lot of people out there steering towards products from, from Volkswagen and Audi, et cetera, uh, where, where, where prices aren't that far off. Um, but you are gaining that, that, that turbocharged advantage. Yeah, it's unfortunate that the, that the engine range isn't more diverse. I mean, if you want the turbocharger, you'd have to go for, for that 2.2 diesel, which, as we know, is, is a lot more expensive. So bad mark for Mazda there. Well, you can't win them all, as they say. I actually haven't been driving anything. I had a bit of a backlog of, of cars uh, to write about. And uh, so I took a week off last week, but um, Hyundai have delivered a new Atos uh, to my door. It actually came this morning. Um, and that is my lockdown companion for the next three weeks. I haven't really driven it. I drove it from uh, the street into my, into my, uh, my house. And uh, so we'll see. It's going to be interesting to see how it performs on uh, – these frenzy trips out to the shops over the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, have you guys had it on test? I've yet to drive it, although I, I really do think it, it, it wears an interesting signature shade, that lime green sort of looks like something you would cough up during the season. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily mine is sort of a metallic blue, so it's going to be a little bit healthier. I did drive it in that throat-clearing green version. But uh, apart from uh, the color, I, I thought it was quite a decent vehicle. It's got a decent starting price of 160,000 Rand. Uh, it's got a 1.1 engine and it's got quite a lot of kit inside. It's a very small vehicle, but it's uh, reasonably roomy for a very short wheelbase. And uh, I think it's something that could do well for Hyundai in the marketplace in the entry level segment. I agree. Uh, it does seem keenly priced. I haven't really explored it yet. Um, as I said, I've, I've probably spent about two minutes inside it, but um, it, it does seem to have a reasonable uh, amount of standard kit. I noticed some electric windows and AC. Uh, I don't know if there's a USB port in there or something or Bluetooth. Um, but, yeah, and it's it's a fairly attractive car. I mean, the old one wasn't, wasn't going to be winning any beauty competitions. Uh, but this new one is quite a quite a you know, sort of sharp, progressive-looking small car. I think that's all we've got time for, guys. Uh, it's it's quite a short episode today. We've got time constraints, but uh, once again, I'd just like to thank you for joining me here in our virtual studio. And to our listeners, uh, yeah, we're going to do everything we can to uh, try and get podcast content out to you. Um, if the quality is not the greatest, we apologize, but we are trying and. Um, 
yeah, we're trying to get it uh, as as fluid and as professional sounding as we can over the next three three weeks of of lockdown. So for me, Thomas Faulkner, uh, Dennis Dropper, and Bren Renardi, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you again next week for another episode of Cargumentative.